on this Christ the King Sunday, won't you join me in prayer with great expectation? Dear God, we come this day expecting you to move in ways that haven't been. We come this day expecting you to transform us from a before to an after. We pray now that we might encounter you anew, revive and refresh our spirits, our hearts, and our minds. This we ask in your name. And together we said, Amen. You may be seated. In our gospel text just read this morning, we enter into the legal drama of Christ on trial. Legal dramas or courtroom dramas are actually a genre of film and television that are so popular because they often focus on compelling narratives about justice, truth, moral dilemmas such as the miscarriage of justice, and they explore the stories about human vulnerabilities. We can't really talk about American cinema without naming a few courtroom dramas, such as 12 Angry Men, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Pelican Brief, A Few Good Men, You Can't Handle the Truth, and Just Mercy, to name a few. In each of these films, there's great acting, there's suspense, there's great storytelling that amplifies the themes of truth and justice, of injustice in the justice system, and of the humanity of the victim and the accused. This is an interesting text today for our historical moment. This has been a year full of high-profile courtroom dramas that pull many of us in because in a democracy where truth and justice should reign, we are watching the trials for the soul of our nation. In today's text, we see similar themes of a miscarriage of justice and the conviction of a man accused of a crime that he didn't commit. What makes it worse is that this miscarriage of justice and disregard for truth and morality occurs not only in the civil courts, but also before religious councils. You see, before... Jesus encounters Pilate in today's text. He has already had five preliminary hearings. Jesus was arrested by Jewish officials and brought before the former high priest, Anas, for a preliminary hearing. He's then sent to a hearing before the current ruling high priest, Caiaphas, and that's done at night in secrecy and makes a mockery of justice. He then goes before the Sanhedrin for another hearing, and the purpose of that trial was not to determine justice, but to justify their own preconceptions of Jesus and convict him as guilty. He then goes for his first hearing before Pilate. Pilate, in that encounter, saw that Jesus was innocent, so he said, I don't know what to do with him. I'm going to send him to Herod. Herod's in Galilee, where Jesus hails from, and Herod wants Jesus to work a miracle. When Jesus says nothing, Herod's like, well, send him back to Pilate. And now we encounter Jesus in this last hearing before Pilate. Although Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent, he condemns Jesus to death by crucifixion in an effort to save his own career. 
His self-interest was stronger than his sense of justice. At its most basic definition, a trial is a fact-finding mission to get to justice. What we witness in this trial of Jesus is what happens when bias and self-interest disrupt and distract this mission for justice. This is not only the trial of the decade or the trial of the century. This trial of Jesus is the trial for the soul of humanity. In the text today, we actually see that what is on trial, what takes the stand, is Jesus's identity and all that hinges on that identity. You see, the book of John is a book about the incarnation of Christ and a witness of God's word becoming flesh through Christ that dwells among us. This gospel book reveals the identity of Christ. In this gospel, we learn that Jesus is the word. Jesus is the son of God, the lamb of God. Jesus is the life and the resurrection and the vine. We see several statements throughout the book of John that Jesus declares himself. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And now, as we are about to reach the finale of this gospel text, we enter into this scene where Pilate questions Jesus' identity before the crescendo of the crucifixion. The first question Pilate asks Jesus is, are you the king of the Jews? And I love that Jesus does not answer him directly. I love it because it's a reminder that if you have to say you are king, you're not king. There should always be more to our identity than merely saying who we are. Our actions should speak louder than our words. Pilate then asked Jesus, well, what did you do? Now he's asking him this because he wants to know what did Jesus do wrong to cause his own people to want to convict him. But again, Jesus doesn't answer him directly. When reading the text, I don't know about you, but I was bursting at the seams to jump up and to provide an answer to that question from Pilate. I wanted to say he healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. He's so full of grace and healing that the very hem of his garment healed a woman from 12 long years of bleeding. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead and he cast demons out of people. He blessed a bent-over woman, and she straightened up. He, he's a master chef. He takes a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a, a small, five small barley loaves and two small fish and feeds more than 5,000. He walked on water. And in case someone tried to invoke the rules of evidence and protest that all that I've just said is hearsay, I would testify that he saved my soul, that he healed my body, that he made a way out of no way, that he set me free. 
amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Can you testify? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Although this text depicts the trial of Jesus, I hear it echoing down through the generations and speaking to us today. And that brings me to our topic. I didn't want to give it too soon because I might have scared you all out. But our topic today is we are on trial. As disciples of the living God, of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus, as the feet and the hands and the voice and the presence of God in the world today, of those that call themselves the followers and the disciples of Christ, we are on trial. I bet you're now glad that there are a whole bunch of lawyers in this church. (laughs) Today, we are in the midst of multiple pandemics in our very city. COVID-19, evidence of racial disparities and systemic injustices, affordable housing crisis, violence begetting violence, lack of equitable access to adequate health care, lack of access to quality education for many of our city's children. And we've only seen these pre-existing conditions exacerbated by COVID-19. Many of you have asked, I'm sure, throughout this last 18 months, Lord, how could you let this happen? And again, I hear God responding by asking us, the cojourners, how could you let this happen? We are in the midst of a fierce urgency of now moment. Dr. Clean King declared in 1963 that we are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such a time as being too late. This is no time for apathy or complacency. This is a time for vigorous and positive action. Book clubs are great. Discussion groups are great. But we're in a fierce urgency of now where lives are on the line on our watch. The ultimate question that we're being asked in this trial is, are we who we say we are? Jesus, in his last moment with his disciples before his crucifixion, utters what I call the third greatest commandment. And he says he gives them this commandment that they might love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will then know that you are my disciples. The trial we are on is about our identity, our integrity. Are we who we say we are? Are we known as the disciples of Christ? Not because... We say that we are, but because it's shown by our actions, our words, our courage, our stances, it's also shown and answered by our silence, our omission. 
Sometimes our answer to this question and our attempt to state a clear case is clouded by what I call the perversion of our faith. Our faith has been distorted by politics and religiosity. Politicians have distorted or twisted our faith for political gain. They use faith in name only in order to ally with certain political mores and for money. Politicians have so misused faith that they have divided our country and encouraged reckless violence by words and guns, resulting in a lack of resources and attention for those most in need. We are on trial. Religions have hijacked faith to push agendas that may have little to do with the creeds of our very faith. Religions have used their statements of faith to enslave and commit violence against others. The very forefathers of this country used faith as inspiration for the Constitution and as justification for enslavement and genocide of an entire people because of the color of their skin. We are on trial. It is this perversion of faith in the public discourse that has actually driven many to lose faith and to make outright statements against its effectiveness or reality. And if we are to be representatives of God on this earth, we cannot allow our faith to be distorted. We cannot be silent in the face of injustice and systemic disparities. We cannot allow our faith to be hijacked by politics or religiosity and rendered ineffective because we have opted to give into our comfort and our fears rather than go forth boldly as the missional church that we have been called to be. Our faith is worth more than partisan politics and strife-filled arguments. There is a difference between partisan politics and the standing up for issues of justice and truth that affect our neighbors and their communities. Jesus was very actively engaged in conversations and work to feed our hungry neighbors, to clothe our naked neighbors, to house our homeless neighbors, to house and care and proclaim the year of the Lord to all regardless of race, gender, creed. We have to stop giving in to the attempts to thwart our Christian witness when people try to tell us to stay neutral. Jesus was not neutral. Jesus took bold stands against injustice and against any ism that denied the humanity of our neighbors and blocked the love and the justice that our faith demands that we give, that we offer, and that we are known by. Generations before us and generations to come are looking for us to stand up and act for justice's sake. We are on trial. Can you see the jury? The jury is made up of clouds of witnesses who've come before and built this church and took stands that were risky. Our jury is made up of our neighbors in this city who see a well-resourced church, beautiful edifice, and ask, can you make a difference? I hear the defenders in the 
congregation. I hear the prosecutors in the congregation and thank God our judge is the one who sits high and looks low. How do we answer the questions that Pilate asked of Jesus? What have we done? Well, I hear you. All Saints has done some great things. All Saints took a stand for civil rights. All Saints took a stand in the HIV AIDS crisis. All Saints continues to remain committed to working with former refugees and children and people experiencing homelessness and addiction. All Saints, we have done some powerful things, but there's more to do. Our identity is not just hinging on what we've done. It hinges on what we shall do. Perhaps you need some good news. You need a moment to exhale. <laughs> well, the price was paid with Jesus' trial. Thank God our judge offers grace and mercy. And I heard someone stand in the courtroom and ask for a stay. And the judge granted it. The stay is there for now because it's waiting for our answer to the question, what are we doing? For this reason I was born, says Jesus. For this I came into the world. As children of the king, what are we doing? We are being called by ascending forth missional God to respond to that question not only in word but also in deed. When we step off of the block and commit to partnering with the Mayas House in the work that they are doing in People's Town, we are doing the work of interconnectedness. When we realize that we are all connected, and that when we neighbor with one another, we actually grow closer to God. We are living the mission that Christ proclaimed in our text today. As Jesus teaches in his parable in the judgment of nations, just as you did it unto the least of these, shall you also be doing it then unto me. Our work, although may be infused and inspired by those parables, we must also counter it with the reflection that perhaps we're the least. That it is in the interconnected neighboring moment that all of us grow closer to God. We are on trial. A stay has been granted. In this place of grace, May we be inspired to join this mission that began more than 2,000 years ago through the life and witness and resurrection of our risen Savior. And when we do so, we will not only pray, let thy kingdom come. That prayer will get in our feet, in our hands, in our very bodies and become flesh so that as we walk let thy kingdom come as we talk let thy kingdom come as we do let thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven amen <laughs>